Would you pray for us? Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you, um, Father, that you are truth and that there is truly none like you and that you are continually calling us back to you and that you are faithful and that you are a loving God and that your mercies are new every morning, that you are sovereign, that nothing takes you by surprise, and that it is your desire that we commune and fellowship with you. So Father, as we come today, I pray that you would settle our hearts and our minds. Father, that we would be focused and fixed upon you, that everything else would be set to the side. And Holy Spirit, we corporately say, have your way today. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Oh uh -huh. 
Oh, Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for this day. We thank you, God, that your love endures forever. We thank you, Father, that you are pleased to reveal yourself to us through your Son, Jesus, that we may be reconciled unto you, Lord, that we would be at peace with God, Father, that we would be about your kingdom, your purpose. God, that we would continue to grow and to mature in your likeness. God, that we would not be enslaved to sin. But God, that we would desire to live upright in this crooked and wicked, perverse generation. So that others would come to know you. Pray, Lord, as we open your word today, that we would be encouraged to continue to seek you, knowing, God, that we would find you if we seek you with our whole heart. I pray that our loyalties would not be divided, but that, God, we would truly be lives that are surrendered unto your lordship, committed to your ways, Lord, transformed by your grace and your power into new creations, testifying of your goodness and of your mercy, that your name would be exalted, and that you would receive all the glory and honor. Protect this time, I pray, O Lord. May we be encouraged. May we go from this place, God, empowered by your Holy Spirit to do your will and accomplish what you have set before us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3 before we head to Genesis. Colossians 3 verses 1 through 17 is where I want to start today. We are living in perilous times. Just turn on the news, see what's going on, not only in our nation, but around the world. We're living in times where everyone's demanding their rights. Everyone wants to push their calls. We're living in times where our very own nation is being threatened. We're living in times where the increase of violence and perversion is on the rise like we've never seen before. And yet, though, we're living in these times. These are times, as we've discussed here before, that we're not to get caught up in them. We're not to be fearful. We're not to be a part or take part on any side. No, we are to be of the kingdom of God. 
living as those who have been engrafted into God's family. We sitting here today have said that Jesus is our Lord, we are Christians. Then I want to remind us how we are to be living then. Encourage all of us to understand that there's work to be done. There's work to be done, lives are being lost. So if you open up to Colossians chapter 3, it says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. So with this understanding, we are then instructed, so put to death these sinful earthly things lurking within you. We understand too that when we read the book of Galatians, we understand that the flesh and the spirit, they're at war with each other. We also understand the Bible says that if we walk in the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And here we're told to put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Put them to death. Consider them dead because you are now alive in Christ. You are a new creation. You are learning and you're growing and you're maturing. If you're not then that's your choice. That's your choice. But why would you choose to continue to enslave yourself with the temporalness of life, with the desires of the flesh, with the cares of this world? Why would you continue to yield yourself to Satan and his kingdom? Why would you continue to yield yourself and enslave yourself to darkness when you have been called out and brought into light? There is a way in which we ought to be living. So we need to put to death the things that come to try to rule us, to remind us of who we were. We're to recognize who we are now and not give the enemy a foothold where he can develop a stronghold. If strongholds, those areas of thoughts that are contrary to God's word, word that we are believing has been established we're told that we've been given the weapons of our warfare to demolish them. But reality is, if you ask yourself, are you demolishing them? Are you using the truth of God's spoken word to demolish the strongholds? I asked you two weeks ago to think about the upcoming week. You've had two weeks now. Think about the sin that you so easily got entangled with, that you chose not to put to death, that you chose not to throw off, but that you allowed to master you. And then I encouraged you, if that's the way you're going, what scripture gives you the right to that? Because you're not going to find one. And maybe you didn't even take my challenge to try to find one. You're never finding scripture giving you the right to live how you want. You can live how you want if you so choose. But that's your choice. But how tormenting it is to sit 
Sunday after Sunday after Sunday or any other day that you show up, hear God's truth and then don't live it. How tormented of a life that is. Because truth is revealed. The Bible says it's best that you've never known the truth then to know it and not do it. Not live it. You are a new creation. A new creation. Not yoked to the things of the past. Not moved by the wounds and the hurts of the past. Because you see yourself whole. In Christ. Nothing of yourself. Nothing of your power of our strength to endure. No, you're full dependence upon Christ. My God, my life is yours. That's why the Bible is stating in this reading in Colossians, this new life that we're hearing about and that we've heard about, that we're to look and think upon the things of heaven. Are you doing that? Are you doing that? Day in and day out, moment by moment. Are you establishing that as you walk, as you go? Are you asking the Father how you are to advance today? His kingdom. Who you, who, who you come in contact with. Are you loving them? Are you serving them? I mean, are you living this out? Because this isn't like, a, oh, this is just what I do. No, this is reality of truth. Like, Christ Jesus himself is returning. Is returning. Are you preparing? Or are we going to be like those virgins that weren't prepared? And scrambling at the end, trying to get it together. And miss it. Because we were still infatuated with the things of this earth. The temporal things of life. That in the end don't amount to anything. We're not to be a temporal minded people. We're to be heavenly minded. So we put to death those things. Have nothing to do with sexual morality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater. Worship the thing, the, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. And I know we don't want to hear about the anger of God. We don't want to hear about his wrath. We don't want to talk about hell. But reality is, the anger of God, the wrath of God is coming. And my God, do we understand this? People are more fearful of North Korea People are more fearful of the neo-Nazis, the white supremacists, the Black Lives Matter. People are more fearful of the, of the gangs. People are more fearful of life, the circumstances of life, the temporalness of life. Oh, but your fear should not be placed in any of that. You should have a fear of God. Because his wrath is coming. Rather, you want to look at him that way or not, that's you. But reality is, it's coming. But he has made a way of escape so that you will not experience his wrath. No, you can experience his love. His love that he has revealed to us through Jesus. He calls us from the temporalness of life. 
He says, stop going that way. Come this way. Come the way of love. There's nothing greater than love. God himself. Come this way. Love. Light. Wholeness. Live differently. Walk differently. And then he tells us the world is not going to like you because of it. Because they don't like me. They didn't like Jesus. They didn't like God himself on earth. They were bothered by him. The world is never going to accept Jesus and his lordship. No, the world is always going to fight for their rights. How they want to live. So don't be confused. Recognize the truth of God's word. Do not yoke yourself with the things that are provoking God's anger. God's wrath. Don't yoke yourself to greed, to lust, to unforgiveness, to bitterness, to rage, to evil desires. Don't yoke yourself to those things. Because what hope would you get? There's no hope in those things. All of that's perishing. All of that's going away. When you woke up today, what was your first thought? Hopefully it was Jesus. No matter matter what your circumstances are, no matter if you woke up downtrodden, unsure about your future, unsure about your health Jesus thank you for another day of life it's like what we were talking about yesterday asking you guard my heart today guard my heart I just want to love you Lord and I want to love others no matter the circumstances and living that way the world will hate you you will be hated by the world because they will will not understand it. They will not understand why you're not coming their way with them. You would be odd. You will look odd. They will not understand it. But some will be drawn to it and then drawn to him. And others will continue to be repulsed by it. They don't want it. And they have a right to live however they want, to be as chaotic as they want, because we know that as the days continue until his return, the world is going to get darker, you all. The world is not going to get better. No matter how much we want it to be, no matter how much we think that it will be, no matter how much that we try to make it, it's not. So then what do we do? We live as Christians. Because our hope isn't in this world. We live as Christians. Our hope is in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of love, the kingdom of truth, the kingdom of all power. There's nothing greater than God. 
Nothing and no one. All power is in him. Just in his name alone, Jesus, everything has to bow. Everything. Just in his name alone. So why aren't you clinging to him? Trusting in him. Allowing you to be transformed into his likeness. This new creation. Temptation is going to come, but he always makes a way out. Trials and circumstances are always going to try to slam up against you, but you're not going to be crushed by them. You have to start thinking and living differently, because as you think, so you go. So put to death these things. You used, in verse 7, to do these things when your life was still part of this world. Do we hear scripture today? Do you hear? This is how you used to live, but this is how you're to live now. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed, look at this, as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter in if you are Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. That should be what's being promoted in the church today. With all this division and strife, and with the race war that is going on within our nation, it doesn't matter Rather, you're white, black, Latino, Filipino, Asian, Mexican, whatever. It doesn't matter. What matters is Christ. Especially in the church. Because we are born again into a newness of life. We are Christians first now. We're not white. We're not black. We're not Asian. We're not Hispanic. No, we are Christians. And we're learning to live as such. Racism has, and prejudice, has, being prejudiced has no place in the church. It's wicked and ungodly. Yes. It's of the devil. Remember, he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus has come for all. Because every tribe and every nation is going to make up heaven. There's not just going to be a white heaven and a black heaven and a Latino heaven. No, it's heaven. It's God's kingdom. It's men and women who have yielded their lives to Christ that has received his great love and salvation. So you don't consider those ways any longer. It doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter anymore. Because all that should matter is Christ. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. So since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself then with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Notice it doesn't say he's going to clothe you. 
It's a choice that you clothe yourself. Either you're living for Christ or you're not. It's a choice. He's not going to force you. It's a choice every day to deny your old self, to stop giving yourself those rights, to stop yielding yourself to the pain and to the lust and to all the other junk. No, you got to learn to go a different way. Because nothing good has come from it. Nothing good has come from it. So since God chose you, understand that you didn't choose God, God chose you. If it wasn't for God, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, you drawing you to truth, is it, if it wasn't for God being pleased to reveal himself to you through his son Jesus, you would never know God. Right. He would keep himself hidden from you. But his desire is to reveal himself, to draw men and women to himself. His desire is that none should perish. God himself loves you. Desires for you to come unto him. And he will give you the rest that you need. He will give you the strength and the provision that you need for this day. Look what it says here. He's chosen you to be the holy people he loves. He loves. You must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You have them. Put them on. Stop living a life as if you don't have them. God has chosen you. He loves you. You are to live as one who is loved by God. That's how other people see God through you. That they see you living like one that is loved by God. God doesn't take his love away from you. God lavishes it upon you. And so with this understanding, you want to clothe yourself. You want to be merciful. You want to show mercy to others. You want to be kind. You want to be humble because it's not all about you. You want to be gentle. And you want to be patient. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And that the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful above all put on love 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 others and love others without expecting anything back just love learn to to, to receive God's love and then in receiving it learn to give it away give it to others you didn't have to clean yourself up to come to God. He took you just the way you are. 
and you begin to grow, you begin to mature because you don't stay the same. God's love doesn't allow you to remain sinful. God's love, when it is revealed to you, his great salvation brings you to a place of surrender. And as we're hearing on Friday, then to a place of commitment and then ultimately to transformation. Like you change. Like you change. You can't help but change because you're recognizing that's the old way of doing life. This is the new way. So you, you put on love. And because of love, love always brings unity, togetherness, no division, no strife. And in that comes peace that comes from Christ ruling in your heart. Think about that. And then he, he ends that little portion there with always be thankful. Are you thankful? Are you grateful? When's the last time? That should be an everyday occurrence in your life. Like, God, I'm thankful. I'm grateful for this. I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for this. You have things to be grateful and thankful for. But if you're not living a life of gratitude, you're living a life of misery. Of misery. And again, these just can't be words that you're hearing. You've got to put hands and feet to this. This is who you're becoming. It's not going to be easy because your flesh, the world, and hell itself is going to try to remind you of who you are, how you acted an hour ago, the things that you like that are temporal. It's always going to be placed before you. But you have a choice to say, no, I am dead to that. I may not know which way to go now, but I know I'm not going back to that. So I'll stand here. And God, that you would just show me the way to go, how to act, what to think. It's not going to be easy. The Christian life is not this easy life. It's not. Jesus himself said, in this world, you are going to have trouble. <laughs> but be of good cheer. I've already overcame it. You're here to represent me. Now go. 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 Go tell others about me. Teach them my commandments. Show them how to live. And in the end, I'm going to gather everyone up. But right now, I have a purpose. I have a plan. And you're a part of it. <clears throat> so live like it. Live like you're a part of God's plan in this generation. Finally, in verse 16 and 17, let the message about Christ and all its riches Fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And everything you do, represent him. Everything. 
I know we only like to do the things of God when we're just around church. But in everything you do, represent God, y'all. Represent God. Let's go to Genesis chapter 37. And we're going to read chapter 37 and 38 today. But be encouraged. There's work to be done. When you see all this chaos of ruin, fan the flame within. There's work to be done. Represent Christ, you all. Represent Him in all that you say and do. Get out there and live among people. Let your light shine. And don't allow your circumstances to dictate how you're going to live. Let the Holy Spirit guide you and direct your path. Even through the worst of circumstances. Chapter 37. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flock. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wife, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream, and he told his brothers about it. They hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field trying to bundles, tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, So you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Not everyone is interested in your dreams. Not everyone is interested in hearing what God is going to do in and through your life. Not everyone that you're hanging around cares about you. Careful. Careful who you are sharing your hopes, your vision, your dreams to. Careful. Careful. They hated him. They despised him. Even before he started running his mouth about his dreams, they didn't want him to be part of the family. They hated him. Careful. Careful. We, we've talked about this the past couple of weeks. Careful who is traveling with you through life. Careful. 
who, who you're sharing things with because not everyone is in your life for good. Careful. Careful. Use discernment. Use wisdom. I read different commentaries on this, on, on Joseph's actions of why he was sharing his dreams. And there's really a, a two different sides of, of, of what people believe that was going on here. But I think for myself, as I've studied and read through this, I don't see Joseph doing it in a haughty, malicious way. In a prideful, arrogant way. I see him with such zeal, though. I see him just sharing these dreams. Maybe not even having yet a full understanding of them. Though he was hated, he loved. He was part of the family. He still considered himself. He didn't withdraw. I'm sure that even before he approached them to talk about the dreams, I'm sure he probably already maybe has sensed the, the being outcast, if you would. But he was coming, just sharing. He had no clue what was ahead of him. No clue. Yes, maybe he should have kept them to himself. And yes, maybe there's things you should keep to yourself because you don't know the danger that is ahead. So learn from this. There's danger ahead, y'all. These brothers are intending Joseph's doom and destruction. If he was wise, if he had discernment, he would have seen that ahead of him. But he didn't. He should have learned after the first dream he expressed to them to hold off sharing maybe the next one. But in his zeal, in maybe even his desire to belong, He doesn't see what's ahead for him. Now the great thing is we're going to see Joseph's life be turned upside down. He's going to have to endure some major hardship. But what I want you to watch at, over the next couple weeks is see how he responds to these hardships. <clears throat> verse 9 soon Joseph had another dream and again he told his brothers about it listen I had another dream he said the sun moon and eleven stars bowed low before me this time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers but his father scolded him what kind of dream is that he asked Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. 
Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flock at Shechem. When they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, Your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready, and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for, he asked. I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they are pasturing their sheep? Yes, the man told him. They have moved on from here, but I heard them say, let's go on to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels and the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain by killing our brother? We'd had to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Fermenianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. He's now a slave. He goes from being the most loved to nothing in a day. Could you imagine Joseph in obedience going out to see his brothers to make sure that they're okay. They see him running wearing this incredible robe. They hated him. They hated him. They hated his dreams. They despised him. They wanted him gone. And I can only imagine what Joseph must have been thinking when he was thrown in that cistern. Scared. Alone. Afraid. By the very brothers whom he loved. And then to be yanked out of it and be sold into slavery. What that must do to individuals who, who endure such hardship. But Joseph thrives in the middle of this, you all. 
and we'll continue to learn of him. But think about your own life. How are you thriving in the newness of Christ in a chaotic world around you? And maybe your chaos isn't from your own hands. Maybe your chaos is the hands of other, by the hands of others. Maybe the circumstances you're facing in life are from your own hands. Either way, if you're facing circumstances that are beyond your control, just complete madness, earth-shattering circumstances, are you thriving in them? Because remember what the Word of God says. Trials come. And they come to produce something within you. Perseverance. Which builds character. Which then gives you hope. Trials have to finish their work in you, the Bible says. Perseverance has to be completed so that you grow up, you mature, and you live as if you're not lacking anything. You're growing up. He was 17 years old. He had to grow up within a day. Everything he knew, everything he was, everything about him has changed now. Sometime later, verse 29, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. Then he went back to his brothers and lamented, The boy is gone! What will I do now? Then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, it is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt, where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. Wow. The brothers covered it up. The manipulating the situation, even to the point of allowing their father to grieve, to mourn with such deep loss. They weren't going to come clean for what they'd done. They allowed this to take place all because of their hatred for their brother all because of their own insecurities instead of supporting their brother in his dreams instead of encouraging him as a young man to dream big they were more consumed about their insecurities they were more jealous because they weren't the ones having the dream. They were seeing good things happen, if you would, to Joseph, and they wanted to do away with that. How sad. 
How sad. You have no place in your own heart to be jealous over anyone. You shouldn't harbor ill will towards anyone. Especially of your own family. Especially the family of God. You shouldn't. Because when you're harboring ill will, when you're harboring jealousy, when you're harboring resentment, oh, it's going to come out. It's going to come out. And maybe you're not going to sell the person into slavery, but you'll entrap them with your anger towards them, with your abuse towards them, with how you treat them when you push them away, when you try to tear them down. It's going to come out. It's going to come out. Careful what's in your heart and how you're living. The beauty of this, you all, in Joseph's life is that what his brothers intended for harm, oh, God's going to use it for God's plan, for God's purpose. God knew where Joseph was going to end up. Joseph had to get to where he was going to fulfill the dreams that God gave him. So what his brothers thought that he was doing, what they were doing to harm him, God was turning it all around. And that's the hope that you can walk away with today, that what the enemy is intending for harm and for destruction in your life, that God is greater. And God knows the plans that he has for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God knows. And that is where your your faith and and your hope should be established in, in Christ. You may not understand why things are going the way they're going. You may not understand why your life looks the way it looks. But you can trust God. That God will see you through it. Now let's transition to chapter 38. About this time, Judah left home and moved to Adullam, where he stayed with a man named Hira. There he saw a Canaanite woman, the daughter of Sheol, and he married her. When he slept with her, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and he named the boy Ur. Then she became pregnant again and gave birth to another son, and she named him Onan. And when she gave birth to the third son, she named him Shelah. And at the time of Shelah's birth, they were living at Kisbeth. In the course of time, Judah arranged for his first son, Ur, to marry a young woman named Tamar. But Ur was a wicked man in the Lord's sight. So the Lord took his life. Listen to how he was described. The Lord knew that Ur was a wicked man. He was very sinful, wicked. And so the Lord took his life. Think about that, you all. The Lord knows your heart. He knows your character. He knows the hearts of men and women. Again, when Jesus was on this earth, he knew the hearts of those that were traveling with him. 
He knew Judas was among them. He selected him. He knew that the hearts of the thousands and thousands of people that were following him, when it came to the time for him to truly let them know who he was, that they were going to fall away from him. They weren't going to want that. Like he knows your heart. He knows if you're for him or you're against him. God knew that this man was evil and wicked, and God took his life. <laughs> then Judas said to Ur's brother Onan, Go and marry Tamar, as our law requires of the brother of a man who has died. You must produce an heir for your brother. That was the custom of that day. But Onan, who was only concerned for himself, was not willing to have a child who would not be his own heir. So whenever he had intercourse with his brother's wife, he spilled the semen on the ground. By doing this, this prevented her from having a child who would belong to his brother. So he was refusing... to follow the custom and the instructions of his father. And in doing so, verse 10, but the Lord considered it evil for Onan to deny a child to his dead brother, so the Lord took Onan's life too. Two down, one to go. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, go back to your parents' home and remain a widow until my son Shelah is old enough to marry you. But Judah didn't really intend to do this because he was afraid Shelah would also die like his two brothers. So Tamar went back to live in her father's home. Interesting. Judah decides to intervene into the issue now. He's decided, I'll do away with Tamar, because apparently she must be the problem. Tamar was never the problem. It was the two sons of Judah. Sometimes we put away the wrong one. We move the wrong ones out of our life. <laughs> Because we refuse to see really what's before us and the others that we surround ourselves with. Judah should have known the son's characters. Who they were as men. Judah should have known. But instead, he would rather remove Tamar and not just remove her, but lie to her. He's manipulated her now. You go back Stay with your father, and as soon as my younger son is ready, I'll give him to you. You all will be married. He's lying to her. Remember, nothing good comes from lying, you all. Nothing good is, comes from you trying to manipulate situations to gain control over things. Nothing good comes from that. It's always constantly before us. We see it throughout the Bible. Nothing good comes from the flesh. He's trying to manipulate. Maybe his heart, we could say, well, he was concerned that his other son would die. 
But that's not an excuse to lie and to manipulate. Some years later, Judah's wife died. After the time of mourning was over, Judah and his friend Hirah, the, the Abdomenite, went up to Timnah to supervise the shearing of his sheep. Someone told Tamar, Look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So Tamar was aware that Shelah had grown up. Oh, Tamar did not forget. There was a husband that was promised to her. Think about that. All those years she was waiting. She was waiting for her husband. He never came. Tamar was aware that Shelah had grown up, but no arrangements had been made for her to come and marry him. So, now it's time to take matters into her hands. She changed out of her widow's clothing and covered herself with a veil to disguise herself. Then she sat beside the road at the entrance to the villa of Enim, which is the road to Timnah. Judah noticed her and thought she was a prostitute. Wow. Since she had covered her face, so he stopped and propos propositioned her. Let me have sex with you, he said, not realizing that she was his own daughter-in-law. How much would you pay to have sex with me, Tamar asked. I'll give you a young goat from my flock, Judah promised. But what would you give me to guarantee that you will send the goat, she asked. What kind of guarantee do you want? He replied. Oh, listen to now what she's going to, if you would, demand from him. She answered, leave me your identification seal and its cord and the walking stick you were carrying. Give me what you have on you that identifies you for who you are. She's not a stupid woman. She's a foolish woman. But she's not stupid. See, he's already promised her Selah. He didn't keep his promise. Now he's promising a goat. But she's not even believing that. I believe that Tamar knows what is going to happen. That's why she purposely dressed herself as a prostitute in order to lay down and have sex with Judah. And she has this plan designed. So Judah gave them to her. Then he had intercourse with her and she became pregnant. Afterwards, she went back home, took off her veil, put on her widow's clothing as usual. Now, just so you know the custom of that day, that ain't right. And she knew it wasn't right. She knows that she's with child now. And she knows the penalty of being with child as an unmarried woman. But remember what she has. She has his identification. Later, Judah asked his friend Hira 
the Adonite, to take the young goat to the woman and to pick up the things he had given her as a guarantee. But here I couldn't find her. So he asked the men who lived there, where can I find the shrine prostitute who was sitting beside the road at the entrance of Enam? We've never had a shrine prostitute here, he asked. They, they replied. So here returned to Judah and told him, I couldn't find her anywhere. And the men of the village claimed they never had a shrine prostitute there. Then let her keep the things I gave her, Judah said. I sent the young goat as we agreed, but you couldn't find her. We'd be the laughing stock of the village if we went back again to look for, her, look for her. About three months later, Judah was told, Hey, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has acted like a prostitute. And now because of this, she's pregnant. Bring her out and let her be burned, Judah demanded. But as they were taking her out to kill her, she sent this message to her father-in-law. The man who owns these things made me pregnant. Look closely, whose seal and cord and walking stick are these. And Judah recognized them immediately and said, She is more righteous than I am, because I didn't arrange for her to marry my son Selah, and Judah never slept with Tamar again. When the time came for Tamar to give birth, it was discovered that she was carrying twins. While she was in labor, one of the baby's hands reached out his hand. One of the babies reached out his hand. The midwife grabbed it and tied a scarlet string around the, the child's wrist, announcing, This one came out first. But then he pulled back his hand, and out came his brother. What? The midwife exclaimed, How did you break out first? So his name, so he was named Perez. Then the baby with the scarlet string on his wrist was born, and he was named Zira. Wow. What a lesson. Again, we see when we try to manipulate our situations in life, we make a mess out of things. We make a mess out of things. Tamar is being drugged out to be burned. But she knew. No, I have the upper hand, Judah. I got you. And I got what I've longed for, children. And Judah recognized, I was not a man of my word. Careful, you all. What you get yourselves involved with. Because again, it not only affects you, it affects the ones that are following you careful. Go to Matthew chapter 12 verse 22 through 45 verse 22 Matthew 12 Then a demon possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak was brought to Jesus he healed the man so that he could both speak and see. The crowd was amazed and asked, Could it be that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah? Wow. But when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, No wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Wow. 
Jesus knew their thoughts and replied, Any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is casting out Satan, he is divided and fighting against himself. His own kingdom would not survive. And if I'm empowered by Satan, uh, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too, so they will be condemned. They will condemn you for what you have said. But if I'm casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. For he, for who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man like Satan and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Amen. Jesus is stronger than Satan. Nothing is greater than God. No one is greater than God. And we learn a valuable lesson here. That a kingdom divided, a nation divided, a family divided, a house divided, it's going to crumble. Where there is division and strife and chaos, it's going to crumble. That's why it is vital that we strive for unity, for love, for peace. Remember the scripture we opened up with in Colossians? Put on love. Wherever you see it, and if you're a part of it, nothing good is going to come from it. It's, it's crazy. Loving others, living as a Christian should become natural, but it doesn't. Because it's not of the natural. It's a spiritual walk. To do good should be the right way to go. It shouldn't be so hard in doing good. Oh, but it is because in and of yourself, you don't want to do good. You want to live for yourself. And there's a lot of, if you would, quote-unquote, good people that are on their way to hell because they haven't accepted Jesus. How sad to fool yourself into thinking you're doing good. In reality, you don't even know what good is. To strive to live in unity among the brethren. To maintain that is vital. Jesus is establishing an understanding that we better take notice of, especially in our generation, where you see a great division of strife that is it's going to collapse. It cannot remain. You don't want to have your home to be a place of strife and chaos. You don't want to let your heart to be a place of strife and chaos. As a Christian, you want to live as one. Jesus says, there's no one greater than myself. <laughs> no one greater than him. Satan, we've got to stop glorifying him. We've got to stop glorifying evil. We've got to stop glorifying the works of the flesh. They're not greater than God. God's ways are greater. Start talking about that. Start promoting that in and of yourself and to others. Start talking about the things of God. Start seeking more of the things of God. 
that his transformation continue to be a process within you. But remember this too. There is a, a right way to divide. Which is Jesus himself says. What, you think I came to bring peace to the world? To the earth? No. I've come to divide those who are with me and those who are against me. There is a line drawn, if you would, that those who are not with God are on the other side. They never will be. They are who they are. They've chosen the way of darkness. And so that's why we're told, do not yoke yourselves with them. Be among them. Be a light. They're going to hate you. What does light and darkness have in common, Jesus says? Nothing. Nothing. You can't be light and be dark, and you can't be dark and be light. No, you're one or the other. Which kingdom are you serving? Because they do not and they never will mix. So the unity in which Jesus is describing is the unity of, of, of believers, of those who belong to him and his kingdom. That's why it's vital. That's why he prays for it. Nothing can tear it apart. And then also you see the unity in the kingdom of darkness. They work together to accomplish their purpose to try to overtake the light. But they can't. They've been defeated. They've been stripped. Sin and death no longer has any power. So they're actually ignorant. And they know their time is coming. Do you remember they even asked Jesus? What are you doing here? Is it time? See, they know that the time is coming. So they're working aggressively to try to keep adding to their kingdom. You're part of one or the other. You choose this day whom you're going to serve. But Jesus is making a clear understanding. A clear understanding. That which is divided will collapse. Maintain the unity. Verse 30. Anyone... This is Jesus. Who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, either in this world or the world to come. A tree is identified by its fruits. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You broad of your brood of snakes, how would how could evil men like you speak what is right and good? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Think about that. 
So I always tell you and encourage you, you want to know how close you are to God? Listen to your own words. Listen to your own thoughts. Because what comes out of your mouth exposes your heart. You're either of good fruit or you're of bad fruit. And if you're of bad fruit, God, have mercy. Have, I pray that you would feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit that would lead you to repentance, to be forgiven, to be transformed. Because why would you continue to claim yourself to be good and bear bad fruit? Uh, it doesn't make sense. A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. You want to know which tree you are? Listen to your mouth. What's coming out? You know who you really are. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. And we want to play with our words. We want to be so loose with our lips. But you're going to be held accountable before God. If that doesn't give you enough fear to shut your mouth, to guard your heart, to not think ill of anyone, to not speak words that tear down. Because as Christians, you should only be speaking that which builds up. Jesus himself said, you will be held accountable when you stand before me for your idle words and how you speak and talk to each other. So go this week. Check the fruit in your life. If it's bad, repent. Turn away from wickedness and darkness and turn to Jesus. Don't live a life that grieves the Holy Spirit. Live a life that is in step with the Holy Spirit, depending upon Him. One day, See where I'm going to 45. One day, some teachers of religious law and Pharisees, here they come again, came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. For goodness sake, that's all he's been doing. <laughs> Showing himself, revealing himself to everyone with the way he's talked, with the miracles he's done, and now they're demanding another sign. Give us something else and then, we'll, then we may believe Show us this great sign so that we can know your authority. And Jesus replied, only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Speaking of his burial... And his resurrection, you all. The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it. For they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. 
Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. Listen, these are Jesus' words. Repent. Turn away from your old life. Turn to him. Repent of your sins. Repent of the way that you're living against God. If it was his message, it should be our message today and tomorrow and the days to come. As you're ministering and you're speaking to others, stop giving them Jesus without letting them know they have to repent first. You can't accept Jesus without repentance. Not everybody's getting to heaven, but a lot of people think they are. But they've never repented. It's those who repent. And it's just not a one-shot little prayer. No, it's a lifestyle. That's how you grow. That's how you mature. Daily as you're walking it out. Daily you see your need for Christ, His Lordship. Daily you see your need for the Spirit's power in your life. Daily you see where you're lacking and you say, God, forgive me. Have your way, Lord. Daily you're living in the assurance that you're saved. But you still see the areas in your life that you need to confess and repent. It's a lifestyle. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means that you're forgiven and you're living differently. You're growing, you're maturing. The Queen of Sheba will also stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it. For she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now, someone greater than Solomon is here, but you refuse to listen. What an evil spirit leaves, I'm sorry, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest, but finding none. And then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. Wow. Wow. Come on, y'all. Come on. We need to hear Jesus' words. We need not to just be deaf to them. He who has ears, let them hear what Jesus himself is saying. As he spoke then, so he speaks now. Drawing us to himself. Revealing the error and the sin in our life. And we are called to respond to that revelation. To, into a place of repentance. Oh God, have mercy. You can cleanse everything around. But if your heart isn't cleansed, God have mercy. It's the nature of the heart that Jesus is concerned about. 
That's when and corporately we should come together for times of prayer and repentance. Individually, as families, you come together a time of repentance. Like, oh God. That's why we're called to hold each other accountable to the ways of God. And if one chooses not to go the ways of God, then that one should be set out of the fellowship. But how many churches are really doing that today? Sin is just allowed just to continue. No one's being held accountable. Why? Remember a divided house? We'll collapse. We should hold each other accountable. We should raise up the standard of God in our lives, in our homes, in our churches. We should let Jesus be Lord. Because He is. We should live like the ones that are loved of God and by God. Living differently. Because you can clean yourself up all you want. But if it's not a true, genuine repentance, careful what will come in. Careful what would come in. Not just one. Maybe seven others. The enemy knows how to trip us up. That's why we must be innocent as a dove and wise as a serpent. We must stay alert because we know that he's prowling around seeking whom he may devour. But remember you all, greater is he, Christ in you, than he that is in this world. Go the ways of God, you all. Trust him. Serve him. Love him. Let him be God. Go to Psalm 16. psalm keep me safe O God for I have come to you for refuge did you hear that keep me safe O God for I have come to you for refuge I said to the Lord you are my master every good thing I have comes from you the godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the names of their gods. True heroes are those of the faith, you all. Learn of them. I challenge you all, this year sometime, pick up a book about a faithful Christian. You don't know of one? I've got many names for you. And if you're not one who really likes to read or you're not at a level of reading where you can handle a, 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 a book, a longer book, then I, I know places that you can find incredible stories of great missionaries, men and women of faith, that are very simple to read. It brings encouragement. 
read about those who have gone before us, how they lived their life, how in a wicked and perverse generation they remained upright and declared the name of the Lord. Read of their struggles and their trials. And yet, see the testimony of their God. That should be the true heroes that we're searching for. Not these American idols, not these celebrities that are parading themselves as heroes. Not politicians, not athletes. We can acknowledge maybe what they have achieved, but we should not be placing our desire to be like them, especially when they're not Christian. And do not go the ways of the wicked, naming their gods, naming their practices. It leads to destruction. Listen to what the psalmist is writing here that David himself wrote. He goes on, Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever let's close in Proverbs chapter 3 I would just encourage you all go let that be um, Psalm 16 let that be what you meditate on tonight before you go to bed Proverbs chapter 3 verse 27 through 32 do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say, come back tomorrow and then I'll help you. Don't plot harm against your neighbor for those who live nearby trust you. Don't pick a fight without reason when no one has done you harm. <laughs> don't envy violent people or copy their ways. Such wicked people are detestable to the Lord. But he offers, look at this, his friendship to the godly. God offers his friendship to the godly. Not to the wicked, but to the godly. So be encouraged this day, you all. Live for God. Make right choices. Stop walking around depressed, gloomed, and doomed. Stop walking around. Even, even, even if life is going the way it is going and it's just not maybe satisfying you at this moment, your satisfaction shouldn't come from the life in which you're experiencing. Your satisfaction comes from God and God alone. 
Choose this day whom you will serve. And in that, live it. So if you choose to serve darkness, then you'll live as one who is darkened, who is foolish, who is just temporal-minded. Or if you choose this day to live for God, then you'll choose love, humility, self-control, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, long-suffering. You'll go a different way, you all. You'll start being transformed. Remember, your goal is not perfection. Because only Christ is perfect. But your goal is to mature. To grow up as a Christian, no matter what your age is. To grow up as a Christian. I want to know God. And I want Him to lead me and guide me. Amen? I'll close this with this last song and then I'll close this in prayer.
I'm desperate.